You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Ready, brothers and sisters? Psalm 8. It's one of the great, one of many wonderful worship psalms. Are you ready to give God his due this morning? So here we go. If you will, remember with me a time that you were outside, you looked up, and you just caught your breath. (gasps) It was amazing. Are you there? Can you remember what it felt like? Can you remember the breeze? Can you remember the smells? Can you remember some of the thoughts that went through your head as you were there? Okay, now imagine with me that you're a shepherd. It's late at night, sheep are kind of settling down. You hear the gentle bleating of the sheep. You're kind of relaxing. Job's done for the day. You lay back. Put your hands behind your head, pull your cloak over your body, and you lay back and look up. Wow. You start thinking, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor in the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful to cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You've crowned him with glory and majesty. You have made him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I memorized that psalm 
because I wanted to know it deeper after experiencing incredible worship singing this song with the choir.
we get to join the Trinity swirling in worship, giving him his due. It's incredible. I hope the worship this morning inspires you to once again find a place far away from man-made lights, as far away as you can get with all your electronic devices turned off on a moonless and starry night and just look up. And I hope when you do that, you're in awe of God. And you also kind of start grasping your place in the universe. So uh, President Theodore Roosevelt had a good friend, William Bebe, who was an explorer. And they would get together sometimes. And when they got together, they would go out on a starless night, and they'd look up, and one of them would quote this. That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own sun. Then, uh, Theodore Roosevelt would laugh and say, well, I guess we're small enough, now we can go to bed. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, maybe David, King David, didn't have all that science, but he had the, he got it, didn't he, when he looked up. And Psalm 8 is this, this great picture of, uh, he, he uses poetic devices to, to really put the emphasis in Psalm 8 where it belongs. God is indescribable. You notice, he kind of sandwiches everything between that thought. And then the next layer of the sandwich is, and God somehow, for some reason, uses mankind to do his work, which means man is kind of somewhere in the middle, kind of this small, insignificant thing, yet because of what God has given us, we're important. Wow. it's very interesting to look through this psalm. So, you know, verse one, God is indescribable. I don't know that I can say any more than that. God is indescribable. Verse two is kind of, you know that second little passage that talks about from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. I, I really couldn't figure out what, what is that one doing in this psalm? I, I don't get it. But then Jesus kind of gives us some interpretation of that later on. So in, uh, in Matthew 21, after Jesus cleanses the temple, right? He throws everybody out, but it seems like he stays around. And here's this great section of scripture in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus quotes this verse out of Psalm 8, right? And the, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And here's the cool part. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, the the scribes and Pharisees became indignant. They said to him, don't you hear what these children are saying? You know, they were saying to him, stop this. And Jesus quoted to them, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. Jesus interprets that established strength as preparing praise. Wow, where we were created to wield God's power really well, 
when we praise. That is the most powerful strength we have. That's pretty incredible. Okay, I don't want to pass. There's a funny little thing that Jesus does here. There's a double entente in this scripture, all right? Because there's a rabbinical tradition that when a rabbi asks you a question and you're a skilled student, you don't answer with the verse that is the answer to that question. You answer with the verse before that verse. So in essence, here's what Jesus turned around and said to them. And Jesus said to them, yes, haven't you read, you are the revengeful adversaries and enemies of God who will cease? Oh. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, praise comes and puts the wisest hypocrites to rest. Well, the psalmist goes on and talks about man is small yet important. And this is a theme all throughout scripture. Bob has touched on this every once in a while. Humility is vital. And frankly, I struggled for a long time to get a good definition of what is humility. Here's my attempts. So Danielle Strickland, and, and this is one I really like, agreeing with God about who you are. And then there's the quote from Rick Warren that Bob uses a lot. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Okay, you could chew on that for a while. I kind of talked this one over with my wife, Colette, for quite a while. And I said, yeah, I, I'm just slow. I just, I still don't quite get it. So here's, here's what my wife, here's how she clarified it for me. The more humble you are, the more time you spend thinking of God and his desires, which means you have less time to think of yourself and you will, you will think of others more. Depression and egoism are both thinking of yourself too much. My, my favorite thought about humility is from C.S. Lewis, the children's book, Prince Caspian. And in that book he writes, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. And that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. Wow. You know, the psalmist is kind of pointing back to Genesis 1.27, right? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them in the image of God. There's some debate about what exactly is the image of God. I'm not sure, but according to scripture, people are the only elements of creation made in the image of God. The only thing special about us is in the image of God. Wow. You know, we have responsibility that goes with that. The creation care that verse six through eight talk about. Oh, we've been put in charge of the earth. And the psalmist, I kind of hear him saying, really, you put us in charge? And folks, I, so Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes exactly that verse. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know, even though man still possesses the right to rule creation, we don't yet do it very well. And as long as we are in rebellion to God, 
the creation's going to suffer right along with us. Romans 8 says the creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth, waiting for us to grow up, basically. Yeah, it's a pretty controversial topic, isn't it? How do we take care of the earth? I, I lived that controversy for 17 years as a wilderness experiential educator. So I would take people out doing map and compass work and we'd walk for four miles and cross three government agency lands and some private land. And everybody had a different way they wanted us to care for creation. Well, different sets of regulations. I could go have a conversation with somebody in town and I'd say, yeah, you know, as the kids go along, as, as adults go along, whatever group I'm with, we pick up trash. We try to clean as we go. <gasps> well, I didn't figure you for one of them tree huggers. <laughs> right? I'd go on, and I'd, I'd kind of make my excuses and try to get out of that conversation, right? Walk down the street a little ways and talk to another person. Yeah, you know, on our trips, it's really cool. What we do is when we're out overnight, we cook our food over a fire. <gasps> Don't you know that's terrible for the environment? I didn't figure you'd be one of those people destroying the earth. I, the spectrum is crazy. And it's a moving target, you know. One year we were supposed to cook with uh, charcoal, and the next we were supposed to use gas, and the next we're supposed to not use anything, and the next it's okay to cook with charcoal again. And that was an actual debate that I went to at a Wilderness Experiential Educator Conference. Right? We all have a different opinion about what creation care looks like. And here's where I land. Oh, Jesus, please give us your wisdom to take care of your creation. Please, we're desperate. We are utterly dependent on God for those ideas. And then the psalmist doesn't end there with our responsibility. What's he end with? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It ends there. I don't have to bear the weight of creation care. God's got it. That's Psalm 8 in a nutshell. Hope you love it. Hope you live it. It's only one of 150 wonderful psalms that will dramatically change your life if you just ingest them. Feel them deep, however that works for you. And I'm going to recommend a particular discipline for doing that. Memorizing scripture. And I'm throwing this out because I get to be the preacher of the day and I like to talk about this. Because <laughs> this changed my life. I couldn't explain it for years. I just knew that when I was memorizing scripture, my character was different. And I, I, could, I didn't know why. As I talked about that for several years, I asked my wife, why is that? And I'd ask people, why is it that memorizing scripture works? And finally, two stories came together for me, and it clicked. Oh, I get why memorizing scripture works. So here are the two stories. One time I heard a preacher talking about Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right? And that, that word sin is an archery turn. If you shoot at a target and miss the target, your spotter says sin, right? Sin is to totally miss the mark. So 
Psalm 119, could be read, if you take out that, so it's thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not miss. What happens if you don't miss? You hit. That's right. So we could take that double negative out of Psalm 119.11 and say it this way. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might hit the mark with thee. Hold that thought for a moment. So I like to mountain bike. I consider myself a decent mountain biker. <clears throat> I went mountain biking with Chris, an intern one time, and Chris was an excellent mountain biker. He raced mountain bikes. Right? We came to a logging road in Shannon County, a stereotypical logging road about this steep, lots of loose gravel, boulders this big, tree limbs this big, scattered all throughout the thing. Right? We top over the hill, and Chris just takes off flying down that hill. I mean, I, I, I was in awe. Wow, watch him go. And then I started down the hill, and I was kind of burning my brakes a little bit. I saw some smoke come up. I did not fall. I did put my feet down and move my bike over a couple times, right? So I got to the bottom. I said, how did you do that? Chris said, how did I do what? I said, you flew down that hill. You didn't hit a thing. I went down as slow as I possibly could, and I was hitting stuff left. Oh, that's easy. You were probably looking at what you wanted to miss, and I look where I want to go. I showed my keen intellect. I said, huh, what? So, well, here's how mountain biking works best. If you put your eye out 20 feet in front of your bike and you tra trace the path with your eye that you want to bite your bike to go, your bike goes there. You can forget about it. So what I do is I put my eye 20 to 25 feet out in front of my bike and I'm looking where I want to go and my bike goes there. He said, David, what you are probably doing is you are looking at the rocks that you want to miss and your bike goes there. <laughs> probably you're, you're putting your eye on that rock and you're following it all the way to your front tire. That was exactly what I was doing, right? And it, oh, I get it. And that revolutionized my mountain biking. From then on, I've always looked where I want my bike to go because your, your vehicle goes where your eye looks. It works driving a car too, right? So you wonder why police officers at night with their bright lights flashing at the side of the highway get hit. That's why, because if you look at them, you're, going, you're more apt to hit them. Look straight ahead. Okay. One time I was debriefing with a group and asked them, why, did, why is it that memorizing scripture changes my character? And those two, those two stories just instantly flashed together and I told that group that and from that point forward, I stopped trying to quit cussing. I developed a habit of cussing when I was in grade school. You know, I, was, I wanted to fit in and be cool. And I got convicted of that when I was about 16 years old. And the Lord said, hey, you really need to stop cussing. So I tried. Lord, please help me not to say, mm. Father, I really don't want to say, mm. Please stop me from saying, mm. What am I focused on? Mm. Right. Well, after I learned this principle about memorizing scripture and looking where you want to go, I quit, I quit trying to stop. Instead, what I started trying to do was, Father, please make me quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Father, please make every word that comes out of my mouth give grace to the hearer. Father, please make, make my thoughts at inception give grace to the hearer. And one day, maybe a year or two later, I don't, I don't remember exactly how long it was, my wife thought I had gone crazy because I ran in the house and said, Honey, I hit my thumb with a hammer. It was great. Because when I did it, I thought, Ouch. Thy word have I hid in my heart 
that I might hit the mark. So how do you memorize? I I studied this a lot too, because a lot of people say, I just can't memorize. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you have something in there that makes it so that you can't. Let me give you some tips and tricks for memorizing. One is, we were created to memorize best while we are moving. That ex- and I, I didn't know that, but when I read that in, from science brain research, oh, that explains why it's much easier for me to memorize scripture while I'm backpacking. Duh. So now when I'm trying to memorize scripture, I try to move. Another thing I ran across is the 10 minutes before you wake up, before the, the <laughs> bad, wrong. The 10 minutes immediately after you wake up and the 10 minutes immediately before you go to sleep are the absolute best time of the day to put things into your long-term memory. So what are you doing 10 minutes before you go to sleep? What are you putting in there 10 minutes before you go to sleep? Another thing, I haven't ran across research that proves this, I think it changes your dreams. So you work on your scripture just as you're falling asleep. And I guess if you want to put these things together, uh, as soon as you wake up in the morning, hop out of bed, grab your Bible, and start walking and memorizing your scripture for 10 minutes. That's the most effective thing to do. Uh, I don't know. Tell me if that works for you, all right? Uh, Another thing that works is you quote your scripture out loud in front of as many people as possible. Frankly, sometimes when I'm working on a scripture and I'm really struggling with it, I tell people, hey, I'm going to quote this for you in about a month. And I kind of burn that bridge where I've got to do it, right? And, And after I do it, I'll remember Psalm 8 for a long time now without working on it because I quoted it in front of you all. Thanks for letting me do that with you. All right? Uh, Oh, here's a little word of advice. Oh, music. Music. I remember scripture that I have never worked to memorize because I heard it in songs as a kid. You had that? Steve Green has a great Hide Them in Your Heart 2D DVD series. Uh, Grow to Know has a great DVD of songs. And KJ and the creative team are making an album of every psalm in this series. It's currently on the app. Psalm 1 is there. I highly recommend you listen to it. KJ and the guys are doing great. And ladies are doing great. Okay. Oh, here's a little uh, tiny tidbit of advice. Once you start memorizing out of a certain version, stick with it. Because it's hard to have somebody check you on your scripture memory if they're changing Bibles every verse. I I learned that one the hard way, all right? Okay, so here's another little thing about memory. And this one, frankly, I'm not too sure about. So I've heard a lot of our gray-haired brothers and sisters sitting among us say, I just can't remember the verses that I've memorized in my life. I just had this discussion Friday with some wonderful ladies. And one of them said, you know what? I used to go to bed and I had a, I would, as I fell asleep, I was quoting through all the Psalms that I knew and I just can't remember any of them anymore. Okay, one of the ladies said, well, I still remember Jesus wept. <laughs> you know, that, that great junior high verse you pick every time you're at junior high camp and they say, go pick a verse to memorize. I got it, Jesus wept. Yeah. <clears throat> But here's the other cool thing about that brain researchers are figuring out is, do you know that the decisions you make and the things that you, change, that you chew on in your mind actually change the shape of your brain? It actually changes the biological shape of your brain, it changes the chemical makeup, it changes how the electrics fire, it changes everything. And I propose to you that all those scriptures that you memorized and you chewed on for decades in your life 
they changed your brain and that change is still there. Give yourself grace. I don't know. I'd love to have, you know, three or four <clears throat> gray-haired wise brothers and sisters who come up to me a few months from now and say, hey, we got together and we figured out how we can memorize scripture a little bit. Maybe not as well as we used to, but we can still do it. And here's how. I'd love for some of you to come teach me because I've got gray hair. I'm getting there. All right. Part of what we're hoping to accomplish in this series on the Psalms is to give you a deep craving to worship with the Psalms, to get to know them, to worship personally, daily, with using the Psalms and Scripture so that you can give God his due through the ways he taught us to do it, right? We're going to continue that now. We're going to do that with offering, which is a poignant form of worship that we sometimes just kind of pass over. And Mary and Kathy are going to sing while we take up the offering so the ushers will come forward. <clears throat> and I want you to think about why did God tell us to do offering and why do we do it in worship? It is a part of worship. I don't know. I think personally it has something to do with we all tend towards being greedy and selfish. And he gave us a tool to be free from that. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for constantly, proactively giving us tools to stay free. Thank you for the opportunity to give to you in many ways. Oh, Father, please teach us to give you your due every moment of every day. Yes, corporately when we get together. Oh, Father, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.